Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemist by Hiroma Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. And today we're going to be talking about chapters 40 and 41. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Uh, before we get too deep into it, though, I want to note that so one of my only gripes with the uh, Full Metal <laughs> edition so far uh, is that uh, it kept a weird translation issue in these couple of chapters. Um, so I've just kind of modified those sentences in my summary. So if you <laughs> happen to be reading along or something, uh, a couple lines will be different. It's intentional. So I'll <laughs> go into more detail about it in our discussion. But You're like, I, I do what I to. want. I do what I want. <laughs> I just wanted to uh, have it be semi-accurate in the summary. So Okay. Yep. I think I figured out where it was. You pre-warned me about this. Mm-hmm. But I want to see. <laughs> yeah, it's an annoying place to have an error because it's like you can't like tell anyone about it without spoiling something fairly major. So <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But yeah, so other than that, uh, it's gonna be our typical thing gonna do our summaries and talk mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly about fumble alchemist <laughs> <laughs> probably mostly and quote the quote the, the rest of the translation as is most likely yes everything else i've quoted is uh straight down from the book <laughs> <laughs> good so we start chapter 40 by jumping over to resin bull where ed and armstrong have just arrived by train ed grumps a little more about his kidnapping than s armstrong if he's going to tell him what's going on now not quite yet, it seems, but they do meet up with Second Lieutenant Breda, which only confuses Ed even more. <laughs> the three of them enter a cafe and meet up with a man Breda introduces as Mr. Han, the departure coordinator. Nice to meet you, he says to Ed. Fu told me all about you. And then Breda says that they should get down to the business of the border crossing. But I didn't bring my passport, Ed protests. Don't be so naive. If you use your passport, they can track you down, Breda says. But that's illegal, Ed begins, innocently and loudly, and Armstrong quickly <laughs> covers his mouth to shut him up. <laughs> It's like the cutest thing Ed has ever done, I think. It's like, but that's but that's illegal. <laughs> it's like your military state is like doing human experimentation and you think yeah. it's bad to cross the border without a passport? Like this is where your priorities are. I like how they stare at him too. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on, dude. Come on. <laughs> this is even the worst thing you're gonna do today, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They all give him a stern look, and he gets the idea. <laughs> I can't believe this, he complains, pulling Armstrong's hand away and sitting down. Abduction, scheming, illegal border crossing. I don't know what you're getting me into, but it better not be something dumb. Then he grins. So, where are we going? To the east, Breda says. While well, Mr. Han pushes up his glasses. Yeah, suspiciously. He must be evil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can't see his eyes, but it's not because his glasses are clear and reflecting the light. It's just that they're sunglasses, so he's not evil. Yeah. That's how you know. That's how you can tell the difference. It's the loophole. He just, he just has <laughs> delicate vision. He's the only one prepared to go to the desert. Yeah. The rest. <laughs> Down below ground, the homunculi are having a bit of a family spat. <laughs> Envy angrily demands to know why Wrath let Roy and the others go when they found the lab, almost made it to their hideout, and even killed Lust. Envy then yells that he needs to go to the hospital they're at and finish them off now. Make it look like a medical accident. Wrath ignores this all stoically, while Gluttony sits on the ground mumbling to himself as he cries over Lust's death. Father, looking weary, finally cuts into the argument. Wrath, why did you let the flame alchemist escape? I believe he can still be of use to us, Wrath says simply. The others all fall silent, looking surprised. Father slowly rises from his strange throne, the tubes and wires disconnecting from his back, and approaches Wrath. Can he do it? 
he asks. Roy Mustang has a kind heart, Rath says. That is his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. He can open the portal for us. Father smiles. I'm counting on you, he says, and then announces that he's putting Rath in charge of the flame alchemist. Envy, still irritated, begins a half-hearted protest, then instead turns to glare at Rath. Are you really going to let him go unpunished, they demand. He is still accountable to military command, Rath answers. I will strip him of his power and see that he doesn't go anywhere. Leave him to me. Back above ground, Al bumps into Fury on their way to go see Havoc and Roy in the hospital. The gaps in Al's armor and his missing arm and jaw are temporarily patched up with cloth, which makes Fury remark that he looks like he has the most severe injuries of any of them. <laughs> As they draw closer to the hospital room, a shout echoes down the hall. You idiot! It's Roy's turn to scold Riza for putting herself into danger this time. You believe those enemy lies? Even if they were telling the truth, how could you just lose the will to fight? I expected more out of you, First Lieutenant Hawkeye. Riza accepts this all stoically and apologizes. You can't shut down under pressure, and never ever give up on life, Roy adds. As a soldier, and as my subordinate, you need to firm up your resolve. Yes, sir. I'm going to continue to trust you with my back, Roy says. Devote yourself to this task. Riza looks down and squeezes her eyes shut. You're one to talk, Colonel, Havoc chimes in from the next bed over, breaking the tension. As a commanding officer, you shouldn't have even been on the battlefield. Shut up, snaps Roy, then immediately doubles over and clutches at his <laughs> wounded side in pain. Please don't yell, Colonel. It's hard on my injury, Havoc says dryly. <laughs> Roy gripes that he should be a little more respectful to the man who saved his life, and Havoc says that's great and all, but he could have gone a little easier on the fire. Girls aren't going to like me with burn scars all over my stomach. They didn't start bickering over who got it worse off, using terms like rare and medium well to describe their burn wounds. <laughs> and both immediately regret it as the shouting aggravates their injuries. Being very mature adults. Yes. <laughs> Roy grumps that as an officer, he should have a private hospital room with a beautiful nurse. But Risa points out that with their injuries and known enemies, it's easier to protect them both if they're in the same room. That's it, Roy says. This is the perfect opportunity for them to finish this off. People die in hospitals all the time. They can make it look like an accident. So why haven't they come? Alan Fury take this opportunity to attentively poke their heads into the room. I was like, who's Alan Fury? <laughs> yes, Alan Fury. I didn't know that was his first name. Second Lieutenant Alan Fury. <laughs> Al and Fury. Oh, there we go. <laughs> take this opportunity oh. to attentively poke their heads into the room. Riza immediately worries about Al wandering around openly in case their enemies try to attack him. But he says he'll be okay. I have someone with me who can detect the homunculi's auras. And we see Lanfon perched on top of a flagpole on the hospital roof. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. <laughs> Roy and Risa somewhat skeptically ask what a homunculus's aura is like, and Al admits he's not actually too sure himself. Fury offers to call for someone to relieve Risa's watch, but she refuses. This is my duty, she says firmly. I'll be fine. She then asks if he brought what she asked for, and Fury hands over the large rolled-up sheet of paper he's been carrying, then goes to stand guard outside the hospital room. What have you got there? Roy asks, leaning in curiously. A map, sir, Risa replies. She unrolls it in her hands and points. I calculated the distance we traveled from when we first entered the basement of lab number three based on the number of steps I took and the length of my strides. From that, I could identify the location of the massive doors we found inside the basement. Since the hallway was slightly curved, the direction was hard to pinpoint. So using my measurement as the radius, I drew a circle with lab number three at the center. Roy and Havoc both look surprised at this work, and Roy eagerly takes the map. All right, nice work, he says, and begins to study it. Al, looking over his shoulder, points out that lab number two is within the circle, but Roy notices something even more interesting. Central HQ is within the lieutenant's circle, he says, and the Fuhrer's estate is just inside it as well. Could this mean that the Fuhrer is involved with the homunculi? But in Dublin, the Fuhrer led the squad that annihilated the homunculi, Al points out. The Major was battling alongside them too. 
So they eliminated greed in the outcasts because they were judged to be a threat to the military command? Gray asks after hearing the story. Yeah, but I don't understand why they had to kill the entire group, Al says. Roy thinks for a minute, then turns to Havoc. The Fuhrer was the one who called the ambulance for us, right? That's what I heard, sir, Havoc replies. Can we count him as an ally? Roy wonders with a frown. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like how that panel is all in dark. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you can't. It's bad. And you, you yeah. know it. <laughs> in your heart. <laughs> Later, after Al and Fury leave. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could say Fury and Al. It just seems uh, yeah, weird to put Al it. second. <laughs> yeah. Later, after Al and Fury leave. <laughs> now I can't say it. <laughs> you walk yourself into that corner <laughs> by making it a joke again. <laughs> Later, after Al and Fury leave, Roy and Risa continue to discuss the situation while Havoc listens quietly. Hughes said the military is in grave danger, so whoever we're dealing with, they're operating on a scale that can threaten the very existence of the state, Roy says. I don't know how far military high command is involved in this, but we certainly can't afford to let our guards down. If we could somehow drag the enemy out into the open and finish them off, Risa says. Roy rolls up the map with a thoughtful expression. This could be my fast track to the top of this government, he says. When I sent Barry into the penitentiary, I was fishing for leads as to who might be working with the military on clandestine operations. What I caught was a much bigger fish than I ever hoped for. I think this fish is a bit too big for us right now, Risa points out. But it just means we have something to work toward, Roy says, maybe a bit too positively. (laughs) I'm going to ask you all to keep digging into this matter. Can I count on you? Risa smiles and salutes. Of course, sir, but it would be nice if you could find a few more trustworthy pawns to help. About that, Havoc says, speaking up for the first time. Count me out, Colonel. Roy and Risa both give him a shocked look and he looks down and clenches his hands in the hospital sheets. I can't feel either of my legs, he tells them. I'm sorry, I guess I have to retire. Outside the hospital, Al and Fury are continuing to chat. Al thinks he's figured out why his brother dislikes Roy so much. Most of the time he seems unreasonable and only talks about the importance of the mission, but when it comes to the safety of those around him, he completely disregards his own life. He really is just like my brother. Fury laughs. They're so similar they hate each other's guts, huh? Isn't that childish, Al says, also laughing. And what about you, Alphonse, Fury asks. Are you an adult? Al considers the question for a moment. If I was an adult, I wouldn't think about getting my body back at the cost of committing a great sin. Meanwhile, with the desert crossing party, Ed is having a very difficult time with the heat. (laughs) Armstrong teases him a bit over it, but Ed points out that two of his limbs are made of metal. You could cook an egg on my body, literally, he complains. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, yes, sorry about that. Freda asks Mr. Hahn if they're close to their destination, and he says that they are. They're already inside the country's borders. He hands a spyglass to Ed, and when he looks through, he spots the silhouette of the Xerxes ruins in the distance. The capital of a once great kingdom is now just a rest stop for caravans traveling between the east and the west, Mr. Hahn explains. When they arrive at the edge of the ruins, they meet up with Fu, who asks why they brought Ed along. And poor suffering Ed finally snaps. That's what I'd like to ask you. I want to know why this psycho geezer is here and why you dragged me across this godforsaken desert, but most of all, I want a glass of water. (laughs) Er... I'm not sure why, but sorry, is all we can say. (laughs) They take a rest under some tents put up for shade and let their horses drink some water. Ed takes the opportunity to fully submerge himself in the watering hole. (laughs) When he's recovered, he talks to Fu. All I know about Xerxes is from the story about the philosopher from the eastern desert, he says. The philosopher from the east, Fu asks? "Uh Uh-huh, a children's story about the one who taught the people of my country alchemy. A survivor of the Xerxes kingdom, which was destroyed in one night. He drifted into the newly founded country of Amestris and spread the science of alchemy. That's how the legend goes. I've heard this story before, Fu says. But in my country, he's called the philosopher from the West. 
In Xin, there's a story about an alchemist who drifted to our shores from the West. After his arrival, our country's alchemy underwent rapid progress. Your country's alchemy specializes in medicine, right? Ed asks. That's right, but in the distant past, it was the product of illusion and imagination. You wouldn't call it alchemy by today's standards. They say that in ancient Xin, three generations of the imperial family died from ingesting mercury because they thought it had the ability to grant immortality. That's when the great man from the West came and taught us the way of alchemy. His teachings melded with the ancient techniques of Shin, and the result is what we now know as alkahestry. We respectively call him by this name, the Philosopher from the West. And this is where that philosopher is from, Armstrong asks, joining the conversation. So it is said, Lou confirms. I see, so that's why, Ed thinks to himself, remembering Ling telling him that he crossed the desert because he wanted to stop and see the ruins. They roam deeper into the ruins and encounter the remains of a huge, intricately designed building. What an amazing shrine, Armstrong says. How could a civilization this advanced be destroyed in one night? Maybe it's just a myth after all, sir, Breda suggests. Something catches Ed's eye, and he stops to stare up at a massive design carved into the remains of a crumbling stone wall. It's a circular design inscribed with esoteric symbols and writing, not too dissimilar from other markings we've seen underneath Central, but with many noticeable differences. Where are you going? Fu calls out, catching Ed's attention. It's this way. They continue on their way, Armstrong remarking that she's pretty far in, isn't she? To which Fu explains. We couldn't risk anyone finding her. This is a dangerous place for a woman by herself. A woman? Ed asks as they duck under the remains of a low doorway. But then his eyes go wide and his mouth drops open in shock. He remembers Roy at the coroner's office, suggesting Armstrong take a vacation out east where the women are gorgeous. That darn colonel, he says with a fierce <laughs> grin, as Maria Ross steps out into the open, alive Yay, and well. Yay, she's so <laughs> bright! Yay, it's Maria Ross! Yay. Yay. <laughs> Just me? No? Okay. <laughs> I was right! <laughs> Go on. Lieutenant Ross, my heart nearly burst from worrying about you, Armstrong booms, tears flowing freely and shirt already off as he leaps forward to embrace her. I am overjoyed to see that you are safe. While Maria dodges this exuberant greeting, Breda explains a little more to Ed. If you want everyone to think you're dead, you can't hang out where people might recognize you. The safest place to hide is outside the country. That means Lieutenant Ross didn't kill Lieutenant Colonel Hughes, right? Ed says eagerly. So the colonel knew all along? But I thought... It'd be weird if we weren't suspicious, Breda says. First they had her arrested in front of a crowd, then they announced in the paper that she had killed one of her own, which is one of the most dishonorable acts an officer can commit. I guess they wanted to put on a performance. Back at the Resinville train station, the town receives another returning resident. A familiar man with long hair tied back and a beard says... I'm back, to the station workers, as he walks by without pause. They start to return the greeting automatically, then do a double take. Was that? They wonder to each other. The man continues on his way, walking all the way out to the site where the Elric house once stood. His mouth opens in surprise when he sees the scorched remains. Over at the Rockbell residence, Panaco is taking a moment to reminisce, flipping through a photo album and smiling fondly at pictures of Winry and the Elric boys growing up, while the dog den snoozes peacefully at her feet. But the sound of someone setting foot on the porch steps suddenly jolts Den awake, and she begins growling and snarling, the normally mellow dog suddenly looking ferocious. What is it, Den? We got a visitor? Panako asks. The man from before opens the door. Panako, he says, looking puzzled. My house is gone. Hohenheim, Panako shouts in surprise. Den has started barking fiercely now. Hohenheim apologizes for startling them and reaches down to pet the dog, but she snarls and backs away from him, tail tucked. Hohenheim smiles a bit sadly. Animals have never liked me, he says. A gust of wind rushes suddenly through the open door, rustling their clothes and flipping pages in the photo album. You know, Panaka says as the wind dies down, in all these years, you haven't changed a bit. 
And we see the album is settled open on a picture of a much younger Panaco drinking with a man who looks exactly the same as the one standing before her now. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> he looks exactly the same. It's been like 50 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also looks suspiciously familiar, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drinking with the Panthers of Rizimbul. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. It's so great. <laughs> What? I can't believe that I they flipped. committed to this saying that Roy was the one who... <laughs> anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah. fine. We'll talk about it. I'll yeah. hold my comments till the end. Mm-hmm. I I was flipping through some pages. Oh, that's right. I was um looking over the uh, the extra chapters, the, the Dog of the Military one. Or, mm-hmm. No, the, mil- the Military Festival one. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to see... Because I remember Roy taught Ed some lessons. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see if they matched the the sort of the lessons that he was taught telling lust, as, you know. Yeah, it's framed mm-hmm. the same way. At it's framed the same English. way, but they were, yeah, they weren't quite the same lessons. No. Um, <laughs> but I thought it would have been interesting if they were. But um, at the end of that, they have a picture of Pinaco in like a bathing suit or something like that. Yeah. Saying um, some something about the the something of Rizembul. I don't remember if they called mm-hmm. it a Panthers or whatever, but I saw that earlier today so yes <laughs> wild yes who else was it who called her the panthers of Brazil? it was oh it was uh, uh, Dominic. Dominic. yeah yeah <laughs> right <laughs> such a stern man to be scared of Fanaka. Yeah. <laughs> so good yeah and scared of winry because she was related <laughs> to Fanaka. well she should be scared he should be scared of winry because mm-hmm. winry's a badass she yeah. would hit him with a wrench she would have no qualms <laughs> Did you see the way that she beat Ed into a, a like a, yeah. a, oh, yeah. a pixelated like pulp that one time? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. On to the serious things, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 41 opens with a flashback to what really happened with the Maria Ross incident. Roy and Breda look over the newspaper article announcing Maria's conviction and discuss how over-the-top showy the military's actions seem to be when Roy gets a call from Fallman. As we saw earlier, Barry quickly cuts into the conversation. Hey, Mustang, did you see the newspaper? There's an interesting article in there. What are you talking about? But Roy begins before remembering he's talking to a dead serial killer on a military (laughs) phone line. (laughs) Bunny, darling, long time no see, he improvises. You must really miss me for you to ask Fallman to call me during work. Ha ha ha. But you know you're not supposed to call me on the military line. Barry catches on quick. Oh no, I'm so sorry. Your little bunnykins just had to talk to you, he says in a sickeningly sweet voice. (laughs) There's something I want to tell you, baby, that affects both our futures. (laughs) All right, I'll call you back from an outside line, Roy says. Just hold your horses. I love you. (laughs) Oh, he's dead now. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate this very much. Good job, Barry. (laughs) Disclosure. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the closure we all needed from last time. Yeah. <laughs> One last good laugh from Barry. Yes. <laughs> Fallman and Barry wait. The phone rings and Barry answers. Don't you ever make an ass out of me again. <laughs> Relax, your little improv may have just saved our skins, so to speak, says Roy, talking in an outside phone booth now. If I talk on the military phone, there's a risk that the line might be tapped. So Barry continues where he left off, claiming that he can get Maria Rouse up. Maria Rouse. Yeah, Maria Rouse. Yeah. Our favorite. <laughs> yeah, Maria Rouse and uh, Alan Fury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the stars of the show. Yeah. So Barry continues where he left off, claiming that he can get Maria Ross out of the penitentiary. They start to plan it out while Fallman listens, confused to only Barry's half of the conversation. 
Bay agrees not to kill any military police or civilians since he doesn't want Risa mad at him. <laughs> and then asks what to do first. Well, first of all, we're going to say that Fallman is being held by a psychopathic murderer. Barry eyes up Fallman and hefts the heavy phone base. Then a loud clonk rings out. <laughs> what was that sound? Roy asks. I didn't feel like explaining all that to him, so I, uh, knocked him out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I guess that works. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. They're all good at improvising, as we saw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they finish up on the phone, and then Roy quickly jots down a list in his notebook and rips out the page to hand to Breda, asking him to get everything on the list right away. Pork meat and bones, carbon, ammonia, Breda reads. What is all this? The ingredients for one charred corpse, Roy answers. Breda freaks out a little that he's doing human transmutation, but Roy corrects him that he's only going to transmute something that looks like a human being. And since it doesn't need to be functional, he can cheat a little on the innards and such. But they'll find out if they do an autopsy, Breda points out. When I'm through with the body, it will be burnt to charcoal through and through. What if they look at the dental records? Breda asks. Roy says that Lieutenant Hawkeye already brought over a copy of Ross's dental records, and human teeth are simple enough to transmute with the right ingredients. Do you really think you can pull it off? I wouldn't call myself an expert on human anatomy, Roy says grimly, but when it comes to charring bodies, I'm as good as they come. After that, Barry met up with my master, the prince, who was being held in the penitentiary, and the two struck up a deal, Fu explains to Ed in the present. In exchange for information about the secret of Barry's body, His Highness would help us get Maria Ross out of the country via the same illegal crossing route used earlier. The prince gave me the orders to take this woman eastward. That's when I contacted Mr. Han. He helped us out when we first came to Amestris. Then we dip back into the flashback, picking up when Roy ran into Maria in the alley. Maria Ross, I presume, he says, then opens a nearby dumpster and pulls his fake corpse from inside. It's a dummy, he explains, as he tosses it onto the ground. After tonight, you're a dead woman. And with a snap of his fingers, he incinerates the dummy corpse. He then grabs the very confused Maria by the arm and tells her to quit dawdling as he shoves her into the same dumpster. It has a hole cut through the back of it and the wall behind, where Havoc is waiting to receive her. As he helps her through the hole, Havoc notices the ID bands on her wrist and quickly snips them free and hands them back out to Roy to place on the body. That should do it, Havoc says, filling the dumpster back up with trash bags to hide the hole. As he finishes up, he hears Ed arrive and confront Roy over what he's apparently done. Yikes, we didn't foresee this, Havoc says. Well, I'm sure the colonel will take care of it. Let's go. After that, they made their way to the slums near where Fallman was staying. Breda wraps up, bringing us back to the present once more. There we rendezvoused with the prince and the old man. Maria says that she went with Fu then, with Breda promising to meet up with them later, and then Armstrong got a message from Breda to meet him in Resinbull. I used Edward Elric's automail repair as a reason for bringing him here very casually, Armstrong <laughs> says with pride. The There's most, nothing casual about... The, the most casually way yes. you could possibly say it. There's nothing casual about kidnapping, Ed gripes. Breda then pulls out a thick worn notebook and says it's time to get down to business. The colonel entrusted me with the data he's gathered. He says, all parties should exchange information now without holding anything back. So they get to it, with Armstrong drawing identifying sketches of all the homunculi they know of so far, and everyone discussing their nature and what they might do next. They settle on the extermination of Greed and his crew as something worth looking into, and also decide it might be worth talking to Dr. Marco again. Maria looks thoughtful for a moment. The more I think about it, the more I realize that the Philosopher's Stone has nothing to do with me, so why am I being involved in all this? <laughs> You really didn't kill Brigadier General Hughes, did you? Breda asks. Of course not, she snaps, irritated. He smiles, letting out a sigh of relief. All right, good. I'm glad I don't have to use this. He reveals a handgun he had been keeping hidden. If it turned out you were the culprit, the colonel had instructed me to kill you after getting all your information. Everyone is silent for a moment in reaction to that. Then Ned speaks up. Lieutenant Colonel, I mean Brigadier General Hughes, I can't believe he's really dead. I really didn't know what to say to his wife. 
You spoke to his wife? Brita asks. Yeah, I told her what I knew about the situation and apologized to her. You idiot, Brita shouts. <laughs> Do you know how dangerous it is to reveal the details of an incident to the family of the victim, you little runt? This is why I hate kids. They don't think about the consequences. <laughs> Ed stutters for a moment, but Brita calms down a bit and asks him what Mrs. Hughes said. She said to do whatever we think is right. So what will you do? Armstrong asks. Ed looks down, taking a long moment to consider this. Even though my brother and I committed a great sin, there are people around us who want to help us, he begins. There are people who get angry at us. There are people who support us in silence. I promised my brother that we find a way to get our bodies back. Now that I know the truth behind the incident, there's no turning back. He grips his automobile arm and looks up with determination. So I have no choice but to move forward. And as long as there's life in my body, I swear I'll never let another person become a victim in this deadly game. I know it's a big promise. It's hard to protect myself, let alone someone else. Maybe it's just my ego talking. You might think I'm being naive, but this is the only thing I can think of right now. He smiles a little sheepishly. Maybe I'm just an idiot. That's right, you are an idiotic, egotistical little brat, Breda says to Maria's shock. But then he smiles. But I like straightforward idiots like you. Give it your best shot, kid. Ed grins happily. It's cute. <laughs> yeah. So what do we do now? He asks. We've arranged for Miss Ross to come to our country, Fu says. To Shin? Ed says, startled. It's okay, Ed, Maria says. I can't stay here forever, and I can't go back to Amestris either. The people of Shin always keep their word. She's in good hands, Fu promises. My clan will provide this woman with food, clothing, and shelter. As they get ready to depart, Armstrong asks Maria if she wants them to tell her parents that she's alive. She thinks about it for a moment, then, frowning, says... No, sir. Should my parents find out that I'm alive and leak that info, it would only lead to disaster. I know it must be difficult for them to think that they're the parents of a murderer, but there's nothing that can be done about that. Armstrong then mentions that Sergeant Brosh has been very depressed <laughs> since her arrest and asks if he should tell him, but Maria objects to that even more strenuously. Everything shows on the sergeant's face, so please don't tell him. <laughs> Ed laughs, and Armstrong tearfully tells her to take care of herself. Maria asks them to pass on her gratitude to Colonel Mustang for saving her life, and to tell him to call on her if he ever needs anything. When that time comes, I will stake my life in order to repay my debt, she promises, snapping into a salute. Armstrong and Breda both return it sharply, with Armstrong promising to work toward building a country she can return to with her head held high. She might regret making that promise. <laughs> she might end up babysitting a serial killer, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> Ed, looking uneasy, slowly goes to salute as well, but Maria offers her hand instead. Edward, take care, she says with a warm smile. Ed shakes her hand. I never got to pay you back for slapping me, he says. <laughs> Maybe next time, Maria offers. Yeah, next time. And they watch as Maria rides off to the east towards Shin. You have good allies, Fu says to Maria as they depart. Mr. Fu, what kind of country is Shin, she asks. It's a country rich in culture and tradition, Fu tells her. Hers are good people. You will be welcomed. Of that, I assure you. So I can expect a paradise after we cross this desert, right? Yes, but crossing the desert will be somewhat severe. Be careful. He glances at her, then looks away. Do not waste your precious fluids, he says, as Maria wipes at the tears streaming down her face. Oh. 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 seems nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Back at the ruins, the others start getting ready to depart as well, but Ed asks them to wait because he wants to check on something he's been thinking about. As he runs off, we see a couple suspicious-looking characters watching him <laughs> from the shadows. Turns out that what Ed wanted to check on was that massive circular image he saw earlier in the ruins. He stands in front of it and stares up, it's not quite the same as a transmutation circle, he thinks, and begins studying the design. A double-headed dragon and five suns is similar to the circle I saw in lab number five. But he's frustrated in trying to figure out more because the top piece of the design has been chipped away by time. 
As he studies it, one of the men we saw earlier creeps up behind him and takes a swing with some kind of bat, but Ed dodges easily out of the way and manages to grab his attacker's arm and get him pinned to the ground. What do you want? Ed demands. I'm telling you right now, I don't have any money. The man glares up at him, revealing red eyes. You're Ishvalan, Ed says. He looks up and realizes that the man wasn't alone, as a small group of other Ishvalan men circle around him. Could you make this easier for everyone and just surrender? One of them asks. Ed tells him that he doesn't have any parents to pay a ransom, but one of the men, with heavy burn scars on his face, steps forward and says they don't want money. We want the land that was stolen from us back, he says. You're going to be our hostage when we demand that the Amestrian occupiers remove their forces from our holy land. Ed scoffs at the idea that the military would do anything so drastic just to save one kid, but the man disagrees with him. After all, it was the death of one child that sparked the Ishvalan civil war, he says. You never know what catalyst can change the course of history, young man. Stop that. It's unsightly. An old Ishvalan woman, walking with a cane and also supported by a boy around Ed's age, steps forward to break it up. Mr. Sean, this guard man says, stepping back. Are you fools trying to bring disgrace upon the name of Ishval? she asks. The boy asks Ed to let his attacker up, promising he won't try anything more. Mr. Sean apologizes for their rude behavior. It's okay, Ed says. I know quite well how you Ishvalans hate us Amestrians. Mr. Sean agrees with that. We cannot forgive you for taking everything from us and driving us into this wasteland. Ed asks why she bothered saving him then. Because I know that not all Amestrians are bad, she says. They've saved our lives before. Ed reacts with surprise, and the boy explains further. When Mr. Sean and I were severely injured during the Civil War, it was two Amestrian doctors who saved our lives. To be honest, I do feel a lot of hatred toward your people for what you did to us. But it's thanks to those doctors that I'm alive today, so I can't hate everything about your country. And I guess I was indirectly saved by those doctors too, Ed says. He thinks for a moment, then adds, Doctors, huh? I knew a husband and wife team of doctors who were in Ishval during the Civil War. A husband and wife team? The boy says. Are you talking about the Rockbells? You know them? Ed asks, surprised. Do I know them? They're the doctors who saved our lives, the boy says, excitedly. You're a friend of those doctors? What a surprising twist of fate to meet you in a place like this. They were always so gentle as they treated my wounds. They told me they had a daughter about my age. Do you know her? I've always wanted to thank them. Ed listens to all this with a look of awe, then smiles, a bit wistful. I see. So it was Auntie and Uncle Rockbell. Mr. Sean adds that they stayed to treat the wounded to the very end, even after the war intensified and the extermination order against the Ishvalans went out. How did they die? Ed asks hesitantly. The mood abruptly turns somber. They were killed by an Ishvalan that they saved, Mr. Sean admits. Ed's eyes go wide. But that's so unfair, he says. I'm sorry, Mr. Sean says and she remembers shielding the boy as they watch in horror as a heavily bandaged Ishvalan man with a very familiar tattoo attacks the rock bells in a rage. We were unable to stop it. Teeth clenched in anger, Ed asks who it was and where they are now. I couldn't see his face because it was covered in bandages, Mr. Sean says. He was an Ishvalan warrior with a tattoo on his right arm. It happened soon after the extermination campaign began. Shortly thereafter, the military raided the hospital. We barely escaped with our lives. That's the last time I saw that warrior. I see, Ed says, looking away. He begins to head back, saying his friends are waiting for him, and Mr. Sean asks a favor of him as he leaves. If you should get a chance, young man, could you deliver a message to the Rockbell's graves? Give them our thanks, and our apology. You can count on it, Ed promises. Finally arriving back in Resinbull, Ed parts ways with Armstrong and Breda as they continue on to Central, deciding to actually get his automail fixed before he heads back. On his way to Panacos, he remembers his promise to visit the Rockbell's graves and heads toward the cemetery. When he gets there, he frowns when he sees someone standing before his mother's grave and wonders who it could be. 
but his eyes go wide as he draws closer and sees the man's back. He remembers seeing the same back in his father's study when he was very young. Remembers a long-ago family photo. Remembers that man leaving. No, it can't be, Ed mutters to himself as he picks up his pace, hurrying toward the man by the grave. But the man turns as Ed draws near, and for the first time in many years, Ed finds himself face to face with his father. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Every chapter is a dun dun dun. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big dun dun dun, though. Mm -hmm. We thought he was mm. gone forever. Mm -hmm. He's not sketchy at all. Nothing about him is sketchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not only the fact that he left his family, I guess. <laughs> he's so sketchy, but I kind of love him. I love that he's sketchy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel like a story needs sketchy characters. Mm -hmm. I like how weird he is, too. Like, even just in this chapter, so he's just weird. like, yeah. oh, my house is gone. <laughs> yeah, like, he shows up, he rolls up and, like, she doesn't even open the door. Like, he opens the door. He's yeah. like, yo, my house is gone. And, like, he just walks past them. They're like, wait, like, at the train station. Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, he's definitely, um, it seems like the kind of person who's just kind of dissociated from their life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, from yeah. people around them. From people entirely. And he hasn't changed at all. And he also looks like the father. Yeah. I was going to say, now that we see his face, I think we can <laughs> <laughs> Although confirm the, that there's a resemblance there. There's certainly a resemblance. He never, uh, the father's face is always covered, like the top part. Mm -hmm. All you see is his distinctive facial hair. But he has those like long bang things too. Yeah. You can see when he stands. Mm -hmm. Also, he's yeah, no, we well, know he's not in the like lab right now. So... Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Well, it's like every time we've seen either of them until now, their face has been partially obscured. That's true. Yeah. Like yeah. we even see like they oh, show nice the photo. um, yeah, yeah. They show the um, the family photo again, which always has his uh, head cut out of the photo. Those mm -hmm. same uh, memories of him leaving to where it's his back, like his profile. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to talk more about Hohenheim, but even though there's not much we can say about him this chapter, but he is weird. Yeah. yeah. Confirmed weird, mm -hmm. confirmed alive yes. for like a long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unchanging. Yes. Seemingly unchanging. Mm -hmm. Confirmed uh, old drinking buddy of Panaka. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Confirmed like alchemist. We knew that from before, right? Mm -hmm. I don't I feel like that's those are the only things that are confirmed. Well, let me look at my notes. Mm -hmm. Oh, confirmed Ed hates him. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say yeah. confirmed Ed is pissed. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, we already had him like react much more aggressively. I like the mention of um, Hohenheim when they were talking with the Zumi. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now we can call him like Hohenheim because now we can yeah. say his name. Yes. Mm -hmm. Confirmed his name is Hohenheim. That's another fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were you going to say something more about him talking about his father? No, I was just going to say like we saw him like react much more aggressively than Al did when like just at the mention of his name. So like That's true. Like, just looking at his face, we can see how pissed he is right now. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's like, what the fuck? When he sees him there. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, it's kind of, like, heartbreaking that he recognizes him, like, from behind. Mm -hmm. Because, like, most mm -hmm. of his memories are of him from behind. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Sitting at the, sitting at his desk in the study and leaving. Well, he left when they were a few years old, right? I forget yeah, they exactly. Were, yeah, they were pretty young when he left. Mm -hmm. I always assume that that's why Al doesn't feel the same way that Ed does, because Al was mm -hmm. a lot younger. Like, he wouldn't have had the same memories, you know? Yeah, I think Al mentions it, like, he barely remembers him at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess we'll find out more about him later. Yep. Also, I was partially right about Maria Ross, about what mm -hmm. happened with Maria Ross. Yeah, you were you did pretty good. close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's what I said. I've made a list to comparison. I said that Risa found all the records, which is true. 
and that they changed her dental records but no they actually just roy just transmuted teeth to be like her teeth mm-hmm. and like fake teeth and then i said that he cinched a random body which he made a joke we joked about <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no he he made he made the corpse he made a he fake made corpse a fake body. Well, mm-hmm. that's better that's definitely the best yes. of <laughs> all the options <laughs> <laughs> and yeah and then she is out she is out in the east which is what i said mm-hmm. and roy was definitely so, talking about it in code to armstrong mm-hmm. which yeah. i also proposed so yeah it was pretty close i was like 90 80 to 90 percent right about what happened because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it could be true and mm-hmm. it wasn't mm-hmm. i do like that roy still sent a backup gun to kill her just in case yeah, yeah. i really love the like how this like whole set of like events like works out like just from the perspective of like how you feel about Roy. Yes. Because like when it first mm-hmm. happens, you're like that son of a bitch. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you get like the the last three chapters where like they're very much endear you to Roy. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah, they're like made they're like made to win you back to his side. Uh huh. Like after seeing like how much he cares for like Havoc and Risa and like his like determination and grit and being able to like overcome lust and everything. Yeah. And then they revealed that, like, no, he didn't actually do it. <laughs> and they also said um, in the last, the last, one of the last chapters we read last time, if you're paying close attention, which I didn't notice until I reread it this time, right, before, like, right before we recorded, that uh, <laughs> they said they moved all their junk in there a few days while Barry was doing his prison escape thing, prison break. <laughs> so they moved all that stuff, including, like, fucking, like, getting into the um, dumpster and all that stuff, preparing all yep. that. <laughs> is my what my takeaway from that mm-hmm. and they moved all the radios and junk in there too for the yeah. the other uh thing that they had coordinated mm-hmm. yeah and they mentioned like like ling talks about like how they made a deal about going to the east but he doesn't say like who it's about yeah, yeah. it definitely like, is a lot of <laughs> it's implied it's gonna be barry not maria mm-hmm. ross yeah yeah they were talking like, there's about a lot of time. yeah there's really a lot that's like mentioned like if you read those chapters with the knowledge of what's like actually going on yeah, he's like i'm talking about the thing and barry's like oh right the thing you know yeah <laughs> that one part mm-hmm. and you can tell that like that's obviously what ling tells um alan winry about uh-huh because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's like so that's why armstrong took my brother why didn't anyone tell me <laughs> <laughs> yeah al's trustworthy he definitely couldn't have told ed <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, ed has to see it to believe it yeah definitely yeah. he wouldn't have believed it anyway mm-hmm <laughs> So you're talking okay. So the the correction that you've made, yeah, um, is at the beginning of oh, it's at the end of forty and the beginning of forty one, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the like the translation in the books is like making it like Roy like, did Roy it. orchestrated like Maria's arrest and everything, and he very much didn't like. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. So. I was like, that doesn't seem right when I read it. Yeah, you were so, like, like you'll the be able actual, to tell, which is true. Yeah, like the the text in the like actual printed book says like. Like, oh, yeah, he he was acting suspiciously and putting on a performance and stuff. And it's like, no, Roy wasn't doing any of that. No, but they also talk about it the very first uh, the very first page of 41 also. Yeah. And that's why yeah. I was like... Which makes it even sillier because it's like they're specifically talking about how suspicious the military's actions are, which makes them like not believe what's going and on. And then Roy's like, what are you talking about? Like, like, so he's like, hey, did you see the newspaper? There's an article. Then he's like, what are you talking about? It's like, you mm-hmm. would know if you put the article in the newspaper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird. Definitely doesn't yeah. make sense. So yeah, it's some kind of weird, like... Um, it's just ambiguous, I'm Subject-object sure. confusion in the original, I think. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just kind of tweaked those lines to make it like what they're actually talking about is that 
The military the, did it. The military's behavior is suspiciously mm-hmm. like conspicuous. Yes. So. They definitely were making a show out of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Roy didn't arrest her. <laughs> he didn't have to yeah. arrest her. That was just whoever Envy decided to dress up as that day had her yeah. arrested. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's alive and she's making her way to Sheen. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also liked her being like, wait, why am I here when they're talking about the yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, why does yeah. she need to be there? <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is funny because she's the one who is like, like after they got like dragged into the uh, like Lab 5 stuff, she's like, I am not listening to this shit anymore. Yeah, I really want to be involved, but she got even more <laughs> involved. Yes. Well, that wasn't her fault. Somebody else involved her that had nothing yeah. to do with her in particular. Well, she's I mean, like, I just want to be a soldier do my job go home i just want to don't want to do any of this esoteric bullshit get my pension (laughs) you know do my service retire to a nice house (laughs) (laughs) i really love the um the scene where like when they part ways and she's asking fu what kind of country she is and it seemed very sweet yeah then she's like so i can expect a paradise and then and she's crying yeah Mm -hmm. well yeah. It's like, yeah, it's pretty yeah. overwhelming. I mean, yes. yeah. <laughs> She's leaving her home. So everyone you know and love thinks you're A, dead and, and a, murderer. B, a murderer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to a country that you've never been to, that you don't speak the language of. <laughs> it seems like mm-hmm. that's what's implied. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine. It's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. It's okay. <laughs> but she Fu's promised. Clan will take care of her. She promised to. Yeah, Fu's Clan will take care of her. They And she, they promised to help. She promised to help Roy in the future, mm-hmm. yeah. which, as I said, she might regret, <laughs> based, <laughs> based on everybody who's ever promised to do him anything. <laughs> yeah, I also like that scene where she like you know salutes and like makes the promise and everything, and they like salute back. But Ed's kind of like socks. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, and then um, but she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, Ed was really hesitant about that, mm-hmm. um, but she thanked him or whatever, yeah. or she shook his hand rather. Mm-hmm. So it all worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. That's a side story I want is Maria Ross's adventures in Sheen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet that would be cute. Mm-hmm. So we can um, reduce the number of women that Roy burned alive to uh, one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> On page, anyway. On page, yeah. <laughs> well, Lust is a homunculus on top yeah. of being a woman, I guess. So Yeah. Technically, she's many women. Yeah. <laughs> She could be many men too. We don't know. Like, however many souls she had, and many animals, I guess. In like an Envy's case, who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know, I, I don't know if Envy's power to to transform their appearance comes from the type of soul. It seems like it's just like they can mimic whatever is around them. Yeah, could be a dog, could just, be anything. Yeah, yeah, I think they can just do whatever with the <laughs> organic matter of their body. I just imagined Envy turning into like a couch or whatever, like one of those. I can't remember <laughs> what the game is called. You know the video game where you can like you T pose and then I can't remember what it's called. Uh uh it might be like G Mod. It might be a G Mod game. Oh. I can't remember. Oh okay. I think it's a G Mod game where you Oh that um I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, you can turn into like furniture and then people have to yeah. shoot they have to find you. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> anyway, I imagine I'd be turning into a couch like that. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> That's kinda of what he did with the with Lompon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't catch me now. Now I'm a dog. And Lanfan is like, <laughs> <laughs> stab you in the face. Yeah, Lanfan knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was 
weird how absent Fu was, but now it all makes sense. Because I was like mm-hmm. looking at all the scenes with Lan Fan, I was like, is that Lan Fan or Fu? I'm pretty sure it's Lan Fan. How come Lan Fan's the only one of these three chapters? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Fu had things to do. Yep. <laughs> it's a very well orchestrated set of chapters. The whole mm-hmm. thing is good. Props to mm-hmm. Arakawa for this yeah. concocting a, a, this, a, like the switcheroo. You know? mm-hmm. Speaking of Maria Ross and where she was, they took her to Xerxes, so we got a trip to mm-hmm. Xerxes yep. in these two chapters, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So it turns out it's not a legend, it's a real place. Although yes. it was a, seemed to be abandoned, except for the like Ishvalan refugees that were hiding out there. Yeah, it's like a, it's like it definitely got destroyed, but the <laughs> legend is around. Um, the legend says it got destroyed in one night. <laughs> I <laughs> seems seems like a tall tale. Yeah. But the interesting thing I think that we learned, well, I mean, it was interesting, and we saw like they saw the sign with like the, the, uh, the circle with the pentagon and the five suns and the dragon, mm-hmm. double headed dragon, which doesn't look not like the military crest. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Because <laughs> military crest has two, dra- uh, one dragon. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't look not like that. Is all I have to say about and, that. Yeah, and the like actual like structure of the circle looks like the um. The one in the, the one lab in, under five? lab five that they were using for uh, philosopher stones, and it had suns. Mm-hmm. Like there's all their esoteric yeah, sun stuff, mm-hmm. similar symbols to the like other big circles we've seen. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's definitely not uh, not dissimilar. It seems like to be a real, the real possibility that somebody actually came from there and taught alchemy to people. Mm-hmm. But the most interesting thing is that that person also taught alchemy in Sheen. So mm-hmm. it seems like there's a kind of even though their alchemy like alchemy and alkahestry is different today they have some kind of common root yeah Mm -hmm. according to what we can gather from this story that we were told Mm -hmm. so that's interesting it seems like one person there was one person who murdered everybody in xerxes no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i'm ready to make another accusation no (laughs) (laughs) um but definitely that seems like the origin is the same so that's kind of interesting yeah um and then, of course, yeah, we saw the Ishvalans, the Ishvalan refugees there. We learned some other things that they just casually dropped their knowledge of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Winry's parents. They knew Winry's parents. Oh, and the yeah. ones that saved them. And also, it seems like what's implied is that Scar killed them mm-hmm. with his bare hands, <laughs> which is horrifying. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to tell. I'm also not convinced that it was Scar because the arm, the top of the arm is covered. So we can't tell if it's like transplanted or not on the person. But their face is wrapped up, so it could be that he has a scar, like the scars on his face are from mm-hmm. that too. So mm-hmm. we don't know, but that's the implication. That's how what we're yeah, led what's to believe. Funny is like, <laughs> I think like the first time I read this, I was like, why don't they immediately know that that's scar? And then I realized I was like, they've never seen his arm tattoo. Yeah, and he was wearing a jacket every time they interacted mm-hmm. with him. Yeah, Ed doesn't know that Scar has an arm tattoo. We do, yeah, but Ed doesn't. And mm-hmm. also, because yeah. I was like, I was like, bandages on the face and tattoo on the arm would immediately make you think scar. But I was like, oh, they don't. They don't know about his tattoo. tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, anybody, anybody who was in the war could have had bandages on their face. Like, yeah, could be anybody. Um, But yeah, I'm not convinced. I I suspect there's a storyline around Scar's brother because didn't his master mention his brother? And he's like, you make your brother upset. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You don't have to confirm or deny if that's true or not. But so I'm not convinced that it's necessarily Scar, but that's definitely what we're led to believe Mm -hmm. at this point. So we'll see. But yeah, and he seemed like not right. Like he seemed like mm-hmm. crazed. Like he didn't seem. Yeah. It definitely wasn't a calculated kill. <laughs> Superficial language for 
an angry expression and like a crazed expression or like sketchy expression with the and it was like the eyes were all like white and glowing instead of being like angry like where you could actually see them yeah. so i think that it would be different if it was yeah definitely didn't seem uh it seemed kind of like animalistic mm-hmm. not like yeah and like the shadow we see like yeah in the earlier panel having kind of like hunched over yeah he's kind of his his posture isn't it it sort of yeah it's definitely um like kind of crazy or whatever and also the people the the uh i can't remember their names the old woman and the boy they were talking to they seem really scared about what happened Mm -hmm. so and they were like hiding in the flashback you can see like they're kind of like Mm -hmm. they're hiding from the the attacker right yeah like the military came in after that after that happened so yeah. But yeah, so that was uh that was interesting. That was the thing that happened. Yeah. But before that, you know, horrifying little knowledge drop, um it's really sweet that like them talking about like how the rock bells like took care of them mm-hmm. and everything and mm-hmm. yeah, it comes straight like, to the horrifying like, part. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like like proud to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. that's cute. I like how he calls them Auntie and Uncle Rockbell. Yeah. <laughs> well they probably were his only like you know other yeah. family other than their moms yeah it's so. like kind of like close that like close friends become your like aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah it was very sweet and they mm-hmm. promised to go deliver the message to their grave which is nice yeah it's a nice closure for everybody even these random Mishvalan mm-hmm. refugees that we yeah have no <laughs> like no uh no ties to yet in this story so that was cute yeah. it's good to see that there's more of them though yeah that is mm-hmm. nice it's not like scar's yeah. the only one it's yeah. not like they're all in that one other refugee camp where Yoki one was. Camp, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did say that they were scattered throughout, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the true. entire land. So, I like that their plan is like, we'll capture this one child mm-hmm. and demand our land back. And I don't think, given what we know about the military state, I don't think they would give two shits if <laughs> Edward... No, I mean, yeah. maybe because it's Edward, but if it was just a random person, I seriously doubt that they would care. <laughs> yeah. Plus, he was traveling without a passport, which is the highest crime in the land. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's like the statement State Department is like you did this to yourself. You wanted to unknown territory. <laughs> yeah. There's no Mestrian like uh embassy there in Xerxes. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. Well yeah, that was interesting. And it's nice. We yeah. learned that Winry's parents uh, were good people. So mm-hmm. which is not shocking. It's just nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And just to have like I think this is the first like positive interaction between Ishmaelans yeah. and a non-Ishmaelan character that we've seen so far. That's true. So far it's only been Scar mm-hmm. or like military flashbacks. Yeah. So that's so, true. Which is like nice to see and also like, you know, some interesting perspectives yeah. to start to explore. I like the overall message of them being like, I hate Amestrians, but I know not all Amestrians are bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice. A good perspective. I guess. Yeah. And Ed is like, I know. Like, it's legitimate. Your hatred of us is legitimate. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is, like, it, this is something that winds up being, like, delved into, like, a whole lot throughout the series. But I think we're, this is starting to build on the series sort of, like, thesis on, like, forgiveness and revenge and mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which we've seen a little bit with like scar and his master Mm -hmm. yeah like i think this is another like building block into that which is something that the series like delves into uh quite thoroughly Mm. later on so that's good i mean it's interesting there's a whole idea where like like mr sean the old woman is like 
It's like, we can't forgive your people for like doing these horrible things to us, but I know not all Nestrians are bad. So I'm going to like, you know, stop my, mm -hmm. you know, kinfolk from <laughs> doing other horrible things in return. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And Scar kind of like, Scar's doing his thing, seeking, yeah. I think, what seems like revenge, mm -hmm. um, specifically on Alchemists. But yeah, it's not really clear what his deal is with that. Mm hmm. I feel like from the other side, like from the Amestris side, all we've seen about it is kind of like guilt. Like, mm -hmm. none of them seem to hate Ishval, like Ishvalans, right? Yeah, like, not I mean, I think like, the only... Seen, yeah. yeah. The only uh, exception might be Kimberly, but, you know... <laughs> no, Kimberly just likes explosions. <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't think yeah. he does either. I think he just... <laughs> he was in it to be so, like, a serial killer for the, for the government. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't, I don't think know. he cared who he was blowing up. <laughs> no, I think he was just like, I want to blow things up. <laughs> that's what it seems like from what we saw. I mean, that's not founded in any <laughs> other yeah. information. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't seem like most of them seem kind of, you know, like sad or guilty. Like they kind of pushed all those feelings down, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean, it's easy to understand since all of them are, you know, post-war, like probably dealing with a lot of feels. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Before talking about, well, I already ranted about Lieutenant Ross, so that's good. But mm -hmm. one thing that I noticed is that we kind of got Ed and Al's changing perspective or like their renewed resolve on their personal mm -hmm. quest mm -hmm. that was kind of yeah. thrown in yeah. the mix with all these other things. Yeah. So they asked Ed, I love the panel where they're all kind of like staring at him as he explains mm -hmm. his decision to move forward. Mm -hmm. That like uh, Maria Ross. Armstrong, Breda, and Mr. Han <laughs> are all mm -hmm. staring at him. I kind of thought that was interesting. It's like the yeah. same like adults not knowing what the fuck to do about things. Yeah. Kind of it's not really a theme. It's a theme that I'm choosing to make in the, in the series. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh or like kind of a little a motif thing that happens. But I thought it was interesting, that one specific yeah. part. And Al telling uh Fury that that um he, There's he, something about I've committed a sin. Like if, yeah, if I were an adult, I wouldn't think of. I wouldn't think about getting my body back at the cost of a great sin. Yeah. Which to me implies that he thinks the philosopher's stone is like the only way to get his body back. Um, also, mm -hmm. the way that it's written, unless he's specifically talking about the sin of human transmutation that kicked it off. That yeah, I actually wasn't sure about that. Yeah. yeah, to me, it seems like like he's still thinking about it, even though he thinks it's like horrific. Like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe which is i mean understandable yeah yeah and obviously feels bad about it but yeah i mean they just wanted to see their mom mm -hmm. can't really knock that yeah i think ed summed it up well when he said like some people there's some people who like are mad at us or whatever some people who silently support us but like in the end i just mm -hmm. want to you know i promise to mm -hmm. get my brother's body back and yeah. Nothing can stop me now, he said, mm -hmm. in a shonen protagonist kind of way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was endearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like how they have like moments like this. Like, like this is something they've been like thinking about for many chapters now. It's like mm -hmm. we've seen them kind of like, you know, like internalize all this information and like go through the pro go through the process and get other people's like views on it and then, like come to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. What were you gonna say, Cobb? Oh, um, the, the whole great sin thing, because um, I mean, I know for Al, at least, one of his um, biggest gripes with 
continuing is that you know he might get other people involved and killed yeah. and I, that might be the sin that he's talking about like sort of risking other people's lives for his own sort of journey maybe um yeah um perhaps but yeah i mean it's just yeah it is interesting that now after a couple of chapters of them being like we're not gonna do it anymore and then talking to gracia and talking to winry mm -hmm. um they kind of decided they need to stick with the plan so yep and of course al was worrying about the armor rejecting or soul rejecting the armor eventually and stuff too mm -hmm. so there's another yeah. added uh added pressure of time that's been added to the story mm -hmm. yeah. so like ed could be sent off to the front to like some front somewhere mm -hmm. al's armor al's like soul could eventually reject being in the armor like we don't know when any of this could happen <laughs> so a lot of pressure on this quest mm -hmm. they decide to keep moving forward which as i said way back in uh, episode <laughs> one might be a bit of a theme <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> well I mean you could back that up with like what uh, uh, Roy was saying to Hawkeye where he was like even if you even if these things are true like he was saying you, first of all you shouldn't have believed the the enemy and second mm -hmm. even if it's true you should never give up the will to live yeah, yeah. so I thought that was interesting and we had a bit of that with um, uh, way back during the like first scar fight when Ed was trying to like mm -hmm. Be like, uh, no, kill me, but save my, my brother save me. And Yeah, yeah. I was save like, are you fucking that. stupid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they're all good, honorable people, so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think when Roy says, as my subordinate, what he really means is, I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, as my, especially as a soldier and as my subordinate, you can't give up. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I see what's happening here. But I like how uh, Havoc is like, um. <laughs> <Yeah. like, "Ahem." laughs> I also liked how he was like, stop yelling. It hurts my injuries or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts my injuries. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then they're all like, ah, as they fight, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, Havoc's paralyzed. Oh, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's unfortunate. He's not dead. That's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know the whole time he was just like, but uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I won't be able to help anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, that sucks. I guess Lust did yeah. pierce him right in the back. If you go back and look mm -hmm. at the uh, thing, it's like in the middle of his back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where he gets stabbed, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not good. Not good at all. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that caught me like off guard the first time I read it, because it's like, oh, like you think they're going to die, because that's a... That's a you think he might die, because that's a shonen thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then you're like, oh, he lived, everything's great. Then it's like, yeah, no, he got pierced through the spine, and he's paralyzed from the waist like, down. Oh. And you're like, oh, but what? <laughs> yeah. Roy, that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, Roy managed to keep them alive, but they still got grievously injured in the process. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, he's, yeah, it's like you're learning to a false sense of security. Like, he's fine, yeah, they, like they both escaped, and then it's like, he didn't really... It's fully yeah, no, that doesn't happen in yeah. action shows. People either live or die. Yeah, it's they one or the other. Long-standing injuries. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. I mean, they were even joking about like their the the burn wounds, you know, just <laughs> sort yeah. of. So yeah, really good to keep you up. Uh... Yeah, I know. I like. Sense that they he's were like more or less okay. Yeah, he's like I'm I'm well done and you're medium well or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess he was just trying to. 
And also, like, they're in the same room. Roy must have noticed, but I guess he didn't. He was too busy scheming that he mm-hmm. never stands up. But who knows how long they've actually been in the hospital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've probably been, like, in and out of consciousness. Probably. That's true. Yeah. Most of the time. They do have home. horrible burn wounds. Yeah. And they were, I mean, Roy was, like, passing out in the place, and they lost a lot of blood. So, yeah, right. Maybe he was just, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's still <laughs> still recovering. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Side note, I like that his um, hand is bandaged too, where he carved the mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the transmutation circle. Mm-hmm. So, attention to detail. I like that recess. And, well, and Armstrong still had bandages on his face from the last time. Mm-hmm. The full bandage wrapped around his head, like comedy style, is gone. But <laughs> yeah, but he still had patches. Yeah, this is pretty good. Um, like the series has good continuity in general, but like. Yeah. Um, there's especially good like injury continuity. Like, um, <laughs> Their injuries are one important. thing you'll notice come up a couple of times now. Um, is that like every time Ed gets into a fight, he gets this cut reopened on his head <laughs> that bleeds over his eye. Yeah, and it's the same cut. It's just that it never gets a chance to heal all the way. <laughs> <laughs> the same like you can see, I can't remember exactly when he got it, but you can like see him get that cut on page, and then like you can see it like over and over again. Like it always reopens, like when he gets badly beat up. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> And I think he eventually has like a scar there because he's like gotten cut open so many times. Maybe trace Ed's scar development. Yeah, I call Reese as the one guarding the hospital door, at least at mm-hmm. that point in time when Free was like, yeah. "Do you want me to send somebody to relieve you?" And she's like, "No, it's my duty." Mm-hmm. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to say was that the homunculi, it's it, with the homunculi. So we saw that the. Uh, I don't know. I always try to. St- I always struggle if I should call him the Fuhrer or Wrath, but I prefer to call him the Fuhrer because it's yeah, I, somehow more ominous. <laughs> yeah, I usually call him the Fuhrer Bradley when he's like out in the real world, but I sometimes call Wrath. him Wrath when he's doing homunculi things with his homunculi buddies. They refer to him as Wrath, so that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Envy seemed mad that he was being put in charge of Roy, so I don't know if that was like Envy's responsibility before, but he seemed mad, or like a uh, they seem mad about it. So yeah. I don't know. I think it was less responsibility. Oh, maybe that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think While she Envy's was dating his subordinate. That, yeah, I think Envy's pissed that just that they're letting Roy live for now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Envy was like, "Go to the hospital. Just make it look like an accident." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Which is like almost sweet. Like it seems like <laughs> Envy's like generally pissed about like lust death <laughs> mm-hmm. i like oh you didn't mention it but gluttony's crying in the background like lust yeah. lust yeah. yeah i mentioned it in passing in the summary but... creepy childlike way but but yeah gluttony's very upset but <laughs> i think envy's upset too yeah i think envy's upset but envy just knows how to scream yes <laughs> when, when envy has strong emotions <laughs> envy is only quiet or screaming there, there's no yeah. in between <laughs> yeah i don't know but i don't know the fear is kind of an interesting character because at first I was suspicious that he, you know, was doing something against being a bad guy against the military, which I think is true. But I know I'm not sure if he's purposely letting Roy live, you know, like to. Last time I said that it was strategically better for the fear to for him to stay alive himself rather than go in and try to take them all on and kill them. Mm-hmm. So either there his motivation for keeping Roy alive is that important which we haven't seen yet, like to be able to have him open the gate, which is what they said they want him to do. Mm-hmm. It's what the father said they want him to do. Which somehow implies that they can't, I guess. Like, or they need a human sacrifice to open the gate. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Um, I just thought about just now while I was saying that. 
Um, but either that or the Fuhrer is purposefully letting Roy and the others remain alive because he's it's like an inside job. But I don't know why he would have that motivation. Like, I can't really justify that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, he's somehow like a double agent, even though they created him. Like, that doesn't even make sense, right? It's too simple. Or it's too complicated, rather. <laughs> yeah. For, I feel like, a story like this that has a lot of other complication. And mm-hmm. I just feel like we haven't seen any motivation that would anything counter to what we know the groups the like homunculi's like full groups motivation is which is to use them as a human sacrifice to open the gate i think um like it seems like just by the nature of his like role and like you know pretending to be human and being Mm. the pure that he's has a bit more like exposure to the outside world it's a bit more like independent like movement and thought in how he handles mm. the tasks he's given. Mm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who seems to have any kind of resemblance to human emotion. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe that is enough to, like... <laughs> yeah, he he seems to... He, as opposed to... I feel like the father tells everybody else what to do. But the fearer is like, I think we should do this, this, and this to the father. And the father's like, mm-hmm. okay, fine. It's your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lust was kind of that way, too, I think. Yeah. She just kind of failed. Yeah. yeah. She was too high and mighty, and she thought that she'd killed them enough, <laughs> injured them mm-hmm. enough, but she was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's intriguing. But that's, I've still, mm-hmm. I haven't decided if the Fuhrer has another motivation for going mm-hmm. against the homunculi and the father. But when you when you're when you're playing for both teams, you never know which one you're going to like mm-hmm. <laughs> want to be on in the end, right? Yeah. Like he has a family, and theoretically, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if he actually cares about his family, but he has ties in the regular human world, so who knows? Mm. I'm just saying, I don't think that that's necessarily right, but I it's something that I've thought about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess it depends on what they need from within the gate. Like, why do they need to open the gate? Seems like they already have all the knowledge that, like, Ed now wanted. So, mm-hmm. what more could they possibly want? Like, that's interesting in and of itself. Well, they, last time they did say we're closer to the truth than you are or will ever be. I don't remember exactly the words, but... Yeah. Um... You think because they're one step closer, if they have a human sacrifice, they can get the knowledge needed for the for the Philosopher's Stone? Uh, maybe. <laughs> you think that if that was true, they would have done it already? Mm-hmm. If it was that simple? Mm-hmm. Perhaps. you got to have a specific type of human life to sacrifice, it seems like. Mm-hmm. It does seem to imply that like if they're, they're closer to the truth, they're still not quite there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about this time? No, I there wasn't a whole lot from that I found this these two chapters. It's just um, more open questions somehow. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention it like yeah, it two like, episodes ago, but chapter thirty six is a third of the way through the series, so we've passed the third, yay. the first third. Yeah. Yay? I don't know. You don't get sad till the Progress. last third, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's interesting. But I guess what I'm saying is we're in a we're in the thick of it now. So mm-hmm. yeah, it answered some questions and then uh, threw out some more <laughs> as usual, as, as you do. Yeah, as they do. 
certainly as Arakawa does. Because mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to happen to Havoc. We don't know if, if Hohenheim is the father. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, we still don't know anything about Pride that we learned last we learned about pride last time like they they heard or whatever mm -hmm. they heard pride um and then we learned about xerxes and if that we don't know if that's true or not or who the philosopher of the east slash west was mm -hmm. uh, but maria ross is okay so at least that was wrapped up yep <laughs> oh yeah and then i guess we learned some things we learned about winry's parents this is just kind of a bonus piece of information mm -hmm. essentially yes and we learned theoretically a little bit more about scar so yeah. So what's next? Next, we are reading chapters forty-two and forty-three. Good. That sounds good. Yep. I'm sure there'll be uh, some kind of horrific thing that happens then too. <laughs> <laughs> what it is, though, we don't know. <laughs> I know. I mean, <laughs> for once, I know. I'm already. I'm already in the know. The head. <laughs> I think I've only read to. 43, 42 or 43, one of them. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Ellen. If you want to send us a note or question, you can tag or message us on Twitter at EquivXPod, send an ask through our Tumblr, EquivXPod.tumblr.com, send a note through our website at staytogethernetwork.com contact, or email us at EquivXPod at gmail.com. To help others find this podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to give something back, you can send a little something something our way at our coffee, which is ko-fi.com slash staytogethernetwork. Thanks for listening and supporting us, and we'll see you next time.